it, it really is great to be with you. And um, I want to I want to say thank you to you before I do the devotional um, for your your lives and ministry at the Bible College um, as a district superintendent of of a, um, a smaller district. I, we have about 60 churches. Um, we are not able to provide all of the course of study options that we wish we could provide for our students. Uh, in our school of ministry, and we have some really great pastors. We've got several DMs on our district, a PhD or two, so we utilize them, and we try to provide some local context for our our up and coming ministers, and and acquaint, acquaint them with some of the people in our district who we know could could train and equip them well. But there's no way we can provide all of it, and many of our students are second career bivocational families. They're from here. So the opportunity to uproot and move to a university is just not possible for them. And so we provide education for them. But just so you all know that um, that our primary educational system for our students is Nazarene Bible College. And so we, we do all we can to send our students to you. And I just want you to know that we do that because you, as Dr. Sherwood says, the motto of the school really is uh, NBC is a trustworthy partner. And I know that when we send our students to you, that they will come out as Wesleyan holiness pastors committed to, to not only um, uh, good theology, but also committed to the Church of the Nazarene, and they will be equipped to do ministry in the local church. And I want to say thank you to you because uh, I can't always say that in every setting, and I'm grateful that I know I can say it in this setting so thank you for, for your service as a DS of a, well, I always, always tell people I'm a district superintendent in the provinces. And um, I just want to say thank you. Without you, I don't know that we could equip our pastors. And so thank you for the work you're doing. It is absolutely necessary. And the church must find a way to make sure that this ministry continues. And so I'm grateful to be on the board, to be part of the uh, people trying to put our heads together to find the best way for that to happen. So um, if we can serve you, um, it would be our privilege. And if any of you want to come pastor for me, please, please call me. <laughs> I'd be happy to, happy to use any of you. Um, Dr. Sherwood asked me to, to do a devotional for the board of trustees meeting. And so I, I did, and he asked me if I would share this with you as well. Um, and we were talking about Dr. Deasley a moment ago in the Corinthian letter and um the Corinthian letters are kind of unique to me. I, I was privileged to have Dr. Weigelt teach Second Corinthians to me when I was in seminary. So that was almost a devotion in itself uh, every single day in that course. And um, in that letter, the Apostle Paul has a lot of difficult conversations with those congregate with that congregation. You know, on paper, the Corinthians should have had it all together. They were probably his most affluent congregation. They were well positioned. They were the place everybody would want to go and live. Um, everybody, if they could be called to serve in a particular church, they would have probably chosen to serve in Corinth. And yet they seem to be the church that gave him the most difficulty and um, had the most uh, nonsense going on that he had to address as a pastor slash DS um, in his role, um, as in his apostolic role. And as you read those letters, your heart breaks just a bit as you kind of sense his heart and you recognize he loves them deeply, but he's broken because of how broken they are. And yet what I love about Paul is how pastoral he is in spite of all of that, that as much as he wants to sit on them, and we have to do that sometimes in ministry, as you know, with students and 
um, those of us in pastoral work and certainly in superintendency, we have to sit on folks from time to time. But but our pastoral heart is always there and our desire is always reconciliation. And that was certainly no different for Paul. And so at the very end of the second Corinthians, after, after a really painful letter, he wraps up his words to them very pastorally. He can't help it. That's who he is. That comes out of him. And so at the very end of the second Corinthians letter, chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, really the wrap up of the letter. Here's what he says to them. Um, he says, finally, brothers and sisters rejoice. And I think it's kind of cool because after a letter that, that didn't call a lot of rejoicing, the apostle Paul puts his heart out there and he, he lets them see his heart, which is um, he wants them to have a heart of joy, that there is hope, there is opportunity. God is faithful. God is good. And no matter what we go through and what circumstances we face, that we can still find joy because our joy is not rooted in our circumstances. They're rooted in our relationship with the Lord. And so he's trying to call that out of them and call that out of us, too, in difficult times. He goes on and he says these words, strive for full restoration, encourage one another be of one mind and live in peace. And the reason why I think he says those is because the whole letter has been about him saying that those things are not happening. <laughs> and so because they're not happening, he wraps up by saying, hey, at the end of the day, here's what I hope for you. After everything I've said, everything I've done, here's what I hope. I hope that there will be full restoration in my relationship with you, your relationships with each other and everyone's relationship with God. Encourage one another, be of one mind. Obviously we're not of one mind and he's hoping for that. And He's calling them to live in peace. And I, I think about that in terms of the ministry that we do. It's a difficult season. It's a hard time to do ministry. And uh, Paul's admonition to us very pastorally, he wants us to be fully restored to God and one another. He wants us to be people of encouragement, Barnabas is to each other. He wants us to share one mind and to have one mission. And then in our relationships with each other and our world to be at peace. And he says that if we'll do that, that the God of love and peace will be with us. And uh, my desire is to have the God of love and peace with me. And so I think Paul gives me a little bit of a prescription there on how I can experience God's love and peace. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I simply added last week that he obviously wrote that pre-pandemic and uh, invites us to do such a thing. Um, and that all God's people here send their greetings. And I just love how he ends the letter. Um, you know, what I love about this is this last line that he gives is pre-Trinitarian doctrine. Um, no one has ever has gotten into a room at this point and said, hey, we believe in the Trinity. No one has determined a formula. Like, no creeds have been written at this point about what we affirm about God um, as Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet he wraps this up with the Trinitarian formula. And here's what he says for them. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and he, if we could put in, if we could put parenthetically, he's saying the love of God, the father there, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I love that he doesn't try to define the Trinity for us, um, because at that point, nobody could have done such a thing. But he does give us some great attributes that help us understand that while we may not have a definition of the Trinity here, he paints a picture for us of the character of God as we can understand God as Father, Son, and Spirit. So it's okay for us to just continue to affirm our, our doctrine here and affirm that it's a mystery, um, but that we can also say, um, even with the raw materials of the Trinity here, that God has chosen to reveal himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, so we kind of come out of this with some amazing things that we can know about the God we serve, these awesome characteristics of this amazing God that we serve. 
And uh, what I love is as we look at the Trinity, we understand that everything about God as, a, as Trinity is relational in nature. Um, and of course, that whole passage I just read to you was about Paul <laughs> just longing for relationship um, for his people, for each other, for God, for one another, for him. And then he, he blesses them by offering them this unbelievably relational God. Now, if I were writing this and had we written it 300 years later, he probably would have said something like this. May the love of God, the father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, because he would have said it in proper Trinitarian formula, right? Father, son and spirit. But he begins with Jesus. And I don't think he does it because Jesus trumps everyone else. I think he does it because the Apostle Paul always wants us as followers of Jesus to lead with Christ. And so he is the point. He's why we do what we do. And so Paul begins that blessing, not by referring to the father, but by referring to the son. And what I love is that when he describes the son, he uses a very specific word to describe Jesus. And it is the word charis. He, he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And I think as followers of Jesus, I think our admonition from Paul is, is that we should always lead with grace. We should always lead with grace. No matter what else we do, no matter whatever, no, no matter however else we have to lead, we always do so with grace. And I think of the word charis, um, and we understand as good Wesleyans, right, it's the unmerited favor of God. And we, we thank God for that. We don't deserve this unbelievable gift of, of God that's been revealed to us in Jesus. And if we're going to fully understand grace in its fullness, then all we have to do is look to Jesus because he is the walking embodiment of what grace is all about. Um, as I was kind of looking up definitions of chorus, you know, as it describes, because he's wishing them the chorus of Jesus, that came across a cool definition and listen to it. Listen to this. The undeserved actions of love and compassion that originate from within the heart and will of the giver. I love that. I love that. Chorus begins in the heart and the will of the one giving such gift. And he's saying, may that, which is found most deeply and most fully in Jesus, may that be for you. And so he's wishing for this congregation. Again, he's just spanked them. And he's wishing them the, the grace, the unmerited favor um, that's found in Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And then he goes on and says, and may the love of God the Father be with you. And the word love that he uses. So if we have Jesus the word that we associate with Jesus through this passage is grace. The next one is love of God, the father. The word that is associated with the father is agape, love, right? When I think of agape, of course, it kind of springs from grace just a bit, but agape is selflessness. It is, it is a self-giving, it is a divinely empowered type of love. It's not something that can be just, you know, thought about. It can't be conjured up. We can't will it upon ourselves. It has to come almost as gift to us. It's empowered by another. And um, the, the empowerment to be able to, to give without an expectation of return, to give in a selfless way, that's only given because that's how our father relates to us. That's how, how God relates to us in such a way. And Paul is wishing that upon them. May the agape of the father be upon you. And then he finishes it up, that formula, and says, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I just think it's kind of cool that whenever he associates, you know, kind of a character trait of the Holy Spirit, you know, he associates grace with the son, love with the father, fellowship 
with the Holy Spirit. And of course, we know that word is koinonia. May the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And when I think of koinonia, you know, I don't think of those Sunday school classes that we were a part of that took the name. Hopefully we experienced koinonia there. But uh, what I'm thinking of, what I'm imagining when I think of koinonia, he's talking about um, kind of, um, he's talking about kind of a, a divinely empowered partnership that is made possible only by God. He's talking about true community, not fake community, but true community. He's talking about intimacy, intimacy of fellowship, true koinonia that is only made possible by the Holy Spirit. Um, I used to say to folks that when I, when, I, when I think about Jesus, I think about the fact that we are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ. And so it's Jesus, it is his grace poured out on us that brings salvation, it brings sanctification and all of that. When we think of the Father, you know, we describe the ultimate character traits of the Father as love. I mean, our God is a God of holy love, and that gives us comfort, that gives us strength. And all of those things that bring salvation to us and bring character to us, but it's the, it's the Holy Spirit that unites us, right? Um, I used to say to my congregations that it is the Holy Spirit who makes us, us. He is the one that, that creates fellowship within us, koinonia, community, partnership. He is the one that does that. And as I think about, um, as I think about uh, uh, you and the work that you do, um, you know, just as I come as an outsider today, I, I, just, I just pray God's favor upon you. I pray that in your ministry, in your service, that you will experience truly the grace of the Lord Jesus in your life. I think Paul's wishing that upon all of us, that we will experience the, the grace of the Lord Jesus, that you would experience the agape, the agape of the Father, the love of the Father poured out on you in unexpected and in, in, in lavish ways. I pray that in your, in your lives together, you will experience the koinonia of the Holy Spirit in your work together and your ministry that you will experience true fellowship that's made possible only when the Holy Spirit is present. Um, I think that's the Apostle Paul's blessing for us, that we would experience those things. But I actually think, remember, he spent a whole letter admonishing them, right? I don't think he's just wishing this upon them. I think in wishing this upon them, he's actually hoping to call it out of them as well. I pray that he's hoping that not only will they experience the grace and the love and the fellowship that's made only possible from God, I think he's praying and hoping that they will also be a people of grace, a people of love, and a people of fellowship. And as I think about um, the, the college and just the diversity of the people that make up the school, the people that come to you um, and to us they come to us from so many different backgrounds and traditions and experiences. You know, some of the students in our, in our classes, I'd say our, your classes, right? Some of the students in your classes, you, it's the first, it's the first class they've ever taken in a ministerial course of preparation and they're green and they, they have, you know, they're just saturated with the naivete as it relates to um, theology and all of that. They come with all this baggage and there are other people that come into the this, this school or way on down the line and, and maybe almost at a completion of a degree program. And they come with a whole different background. Some of them come from Nazarene traditions. Some, many of them do not, as I know. And some of them come and, 
they they may not even know it, but they're actually a little Calvinistic, and they think that they're they think that they're Nazarenes or Wesleyans, and you get to clean that up. And some of them uh, come with a fundamentalism upon you know all over them, and you have to help kind of direct that in a in a good Wesleyan in a great Wesleyan place. Some of them have all the answers. Some of them are humble and don't think they can do this right. And and my prayer for our school is that you know not to take it away from anything else the other schools might be able to provide. But I hope that when the students come through Nazarene Bible College, that, that no matter what their experiences might be academically, no matter what they, how they come to the end of it and what it means for them in terms of service to the church, I pray that they would say that in my interactions with the faculty and the staff at Nazarene Bible College, in my interactions with people who are graduates, people that have some affiliation with the college, that in that relationship, I experienced in their relationships among one another, but I experienced in their relationship to me as a student, I experienced the grace of Jesus, the unmerited favor of God. <laughs> I experienced the agape of the Father, people who love me without an expectation of return. I experienced the fellowship of the body of Christ that's made only possible where the Holy Spirit is present. And I just ask that the Lord would continue to do that. Dr. Sherwood has been bragging to us on the board that as he's traveled, the one major takeaway he's had is that our reputation is stellar across the denomination. Um, people, people have a good opinion of the school. And my prayer is that that will continue because we need the Bible college. And I know for my churches, um, for the people that I want to place there, we need the Bible college to help us to equip them. And we want them to come away from our, their experience at the Bible college, more in love with Jesus, more in love with the father, more love with the Holy Spirit and more committed, not less, um, to the Church of the Nazarene and to service, specifically service in the local church. So I pray that um, I pray that God will continue to bless you in your service to the college. We need you. We thank God for you. I pray that God will bless you in your support of Dr. Sherwood as he just pulls out all the stops to help the Bible College prevail. And I pray that God will bless you, most importantly, perhaps, in your ministry to the students of Nazarene Bible College. God bless you. <clears throat> Susan, would you uh, like for me to pray? Yes, please. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we, we don't understand why you love us so much, but we're so thankful that you do. We're grateful, God, that not only did you choose to redeem us, but you've chosen to call us to be your servants and your leaders in your church. And we are unworthy and it humbles us to think about that. We are grateful, God, that you have chosen to use us for such a time as this, that you have placed us in positions of influence where we can impact um, generations of people who are feeling called to follow you and to serve the church. So, Lord, I pray that you would inspire and equip and encourage these wonderful people, these men and women of God who've given their lives, Lord, to, um, to make an impact, to invest in the lives of others. I pray that as they pour themselves out, that you, Lord, would pour yourself in and that they would feel joy and they would feel encouragement and they would recognize, Lord, that the work that they do is not in vain. So, Father, bless them in their work together. Um, bless them, Father, as they seek to serve. 
I pray, Lord, that the people that cross paths with them would not only have a great reputation and opinion of Nazarene Bible College, but more importantly, I pray that they would come away from relationships with us with an even better opinion and reputation about Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for all you're doing with the school. We pray you'd continue to pour out your favor. And for all of this today, we'll give you thanks. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed and said.